As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One House Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Alex Ablin, co-founder and co-CEO of Plant Baby and Kiki Milk. Alex is a Haas undergrad alum with experience as an executive founding multiple companies as well as time at Google and Verizon. Alex is a creative, innovative, and entrepreneurial professional who measures his success on the positive impact he makes for others. Welcome, Alex, and great to have you on the show. Thank you, Chris. It's really awesome to be here. Could you share a bit about your origin story? You know, where did you grow up and what was your journey like before you got to Haas? Totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm born and raised in San Diego. Spent my whole life at the same house in Claremont. Haas and, and UC Berkeley was always on my radar. Actually, it was on the vision board as a young kid to go to Cal. My uncle has a degree from Berkeley. And funny enough, when I was 13, in my seventh grade yearbook photo, I'm wearing a Cal Berkeley t-shirt. Oh, in wow. That, in that yearbook photo. And <laughs> It was uh, foreboding for six years later when I got admitted to Cal. I'm an only child. Um, I come from two parents, Brooklyn hippies that migrated in from New York to San Diego in 75, and they had me in 83. I had a really sweet childhood. My grandma was very involved in my upbringing. My parents exposed me to sports and theater and art, travel, and business was always kind of like my secret passion. I always enjoyed the idea of business and entrepreneurship and economics and finance. My grandfather was an accountant and was very good with numbers and math and money. And I think I captured some of his passion for those skills in mine. And yeah, when I got into Cal, I was just immediately looking at Haas. I knew I wanted to study business. There was no other major that really captured what my interests were. And just grateful that I was admitted into Berkeley, equally grateful that I was admitted into Haas. That's awesome. There are definitely folks in the Cal ecosystem that are from San Diego, but maybe could you share a bit about any early experiences that maybe shaped the way that you approach life or the way that you work today? Well, both my parents worked full time. So I saw two nine to five professionals growing up and very committed to their organizations and their craft. My mom worked in human resources and was one of the, the senior female leaders and executives of Cubic Corporation where she ran HR and people operations and developing culture and training programs and hiring practices and performance reports. Like this was all kind of part of the the around the kitchen table conversation. My dad has a law degree. His focus was in negotiations, contract law. He worked for Pepsi in the county of San Diego. So I had I had two role models and and parents who really kind of shined a light into what the working world was like. And I learned a lot from them just by clearly being their son and being in the home with them every day, the value of hard work and commitment. And, you know, what I think my parents did is they brought a lot of heart to their organizations, where I think a lot of professionals go in, they do their time and they come home. And my parents really brought their full selves to their work and always led with their hearts and were always very compassionate and spirited. So I get a lot of that from them. That's awesome. Can you explain, there are definitely probably uh, parents of folks who are in high school, maybe in the California area that definitely know Berkeley and definitely know Haas, but could you explain a bit about what that undergrad experience is like? What was it like for you, you know, coming up to Berkeley and, and any words of wisdom that you give to prospective undergrads who are thinking about going to Haas? 
well, bring tissues for the parents when they drive home. <laughs> My mom likes to share the story that when they, they drove that long ride home from the Bay Area to San Diego, there's a lot of tears. As an only child, and now they were empty nesters, it's perhaps even a bigger transition for the parents as it is for the child. Mm. For me, this was the first time living alone. It felt really empowering. It felt great. Just the simple stuff of making sure I had three meals a day and that I knew how to do my laundry. You know, these like kind of social life skills that came into play. Making sure I showed up on class on time. I, you know, my mom and dad weren't there knocking on my door to wake me up at a school. And that's, I think, half the fun and half the reason to do a four-year institution is to acquire those resilient skills and the autonomy and the sovereignty. It's a huge rite of passage. I loved my time at Cal. I look back on my four years at Berkeley as some of my favorite memories of my life. It's kind of crazy. I'm 38 now. So I've had, Cal was kind of like a midway point at this point in my life, around that center point, 19. I look back on it, the friends I made, the classes I was in. I studied abroad in Florence, Italy. I served as president of my fraternity at Cal at CBT. I loved my, my time at Haas. Yeah, I just have nothing but fond memories, Chris, of those four years. It was so nourishing, so fun, so expansive. And looking at photos of me going into Cal and looking at photos of me going out of Cal, you could see a real, a much more mature and different human. Those four years really did a lot for me, a lot of good. Oh, that's awesome. Any uh, memories that stick out? I know everybody seems to have one or two memories that stick out. I know we had the Berkeley-Stanford game recently and then came out with the way. I keep my eyes on that game. I always keep my, you know, what, 41-11? That's a nice, that's a nice <laughs> win. I was at Cal during the time of Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch, and Deshaun Jackson. Mm. So I was spoiled. I was spoiled with a stellar football team. And all three of those are just some of my favorite NFL athletes as well. We were number two in the country at one point during my Cal time, and we were knocking on the door of number one. We didn't get it, but really good time. Gosh, it's flooded with memories. I remember getting the Haas letter. I remember opening that letter. I wasn't sure if it was thick or thin. I wasn't sure if it was an admittance or a apologies letter. I remember calling my mom after hearing that and, and sharing in the joy of getting accepted. My dad taught, actually, a class of negotiations for Holly Schroth. I'm not sure if she's still at Cal, but he was a, a, a sub-in teacher for a day, and it was really fun to see my dad up there. I've actually spoke at Haas X a few years ago, which was great. You know, the memories are like the, the moments in between, the, the lunches and salads at Intermezzo. You know, I still think about that poppy seed dressing. <laughs> oh my God. I, it's iconic Cal, for sure. Totally. Is the frozen yogurt spot still up and running? I'm not sure. Okay. There's a frozen yogurt spot. Too many soft serves from there. I <laughs> I love running up the Strawberry Creek, up into the hills to work off that yogurt, <laughs> playing in intramural sports, soccer and, and basketball. Just some really, really great memories. And now I have a son who's two, and I wonder what college will be like for his generation. Oh, yeah. If it will be relevant and, and if he'll want to go. And if my experience at Cal is any reference for him. I think he'll be encouraged to look at a four-year school like Cal or Cal itself because of, you know, not just the degree and the prestige and the doors it opens, but those life experiences that only a, a four-year institution like Cal can provide. You're making me really nostalgic here, Chris, <laughs> thinking about 2001 to 2005. Yeah. And and for folks who are thinking about coming to Cal, you know, the best advice I ever heard is if you're thinking of applying, just do it. 
there's nothing to lose. And it's it's just such an amazing experience, you know, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. And you can always transfer in. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of my friends came in their junior year and they just did well at their community college or state school and able to come in and have a great two years and get a degree. There's other ways to do it. Absolutely. Well, Alex, you, you kind of talked about open doors. You know, what did you do after you left Cal and Haas and where did that take you? What was that experience like? I was an intern at NBC in San Diego my junior year. And my plan was to graduate that next year and go into entertainment. I was looking at production studios like Universal, DreamWorks, HBO. I wanted to be in entertainment. I wanted to be in the the business side of the house, but I did have a theater background and I acted at both Cal and at my high school. So I thought my Haas learnings would bode well in LA and doing entertainment. And I applied to all these great brands and none of them responded to me. And I was like, wow, I did everything I thought I needed to do. Got the great internship, had the great degree, and uh, it was a pretty humbling summer. And then, you know, it was August and I'll never forget it. I think it was August 12th. My dad came knocking into my childhood bedroom door after three months after graduating from Berkeley. And he said, okay, time's up. You did it. You know, the summer's up. Time to go get a job. Like, what are you going to do with your life? And that afternoon I applied to Google. My buddy at Cal, his sister was early at Google and she showed me around during our finals week during senior year. And I was like, what Disneyland playground for adults is this place? It seemed back in 2005, it was 4,000 employees, but the company definitely had a certain level of prestige and success under its belt. It was founded in 98. So seven years old, it just IPO'd. Certainly being at Berkeley, there was this kind of tech allure to the whole thing. And I felt, well, if no... If no entertainment production studio wants to talk to me, maybe Google does. And literally the next day, they responded, set, set up an interview, and the rest is history. And I started at Google Halloween 05. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I stretched out a little bit more summer there. My career at Google went from Halloween 05 to April Fool's Day 2013. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Seven and a half years at Google. Basically, my entire 20s was spent there. Thinking about my time at Cal, I look back on my time at Google a similar fondness of maturation and new experiences and growing up and being on my own and understanding a 401k. And I studied abroad at Cal in Italy, and then I worked abroad at Google in, in Dublin, Ireland. So I had a, a really great abroad experience there. Spent seven and a half years between four cities. So Mountain View, at Dublin, I opened up the San Francisco office back in 07. So I was the, one of the first employees to, to break that ground, which was really cool. And then I transferred to New York in 2010. So my parents are from Brooklyn. My grandparents are from Brooklyn. I was 26 at the time and said, if I don't live in New York in my mid-20s, when am I going to do it? So I made the big move from the Bay Area to, the, to New York through Google and went from a sales role in California to a policy role in New York. And that's where I spent my last three plus years at Google in New York policy. That's awesome. Alex, some folks might be aware of how Google operates both on the account side and also in public uh, uh, kind of the policy area. Could you share a little bit about what those different roles do and what that experience is like for folks coming out of Cal and, and maybe ending up at Google or a similar tech company like that? Yeah, sales was a great entry point into the professional world. I, I spoke with companies that were starting their digital marketing strategies and using AdWords to drive traffic to their businesses. And, you know, the world of SEO and SEM has definitely only increased since 05, 06, 07, when I was in it. Then it was a very powerful tool at that time as well. Yeah, I had 
about a dozen managers in four years in sales. So I, I was able to glean a lot of great advice and professional knowledge from my seniors who were at the time probably 27. I was, you know, 22, 23. So they seem like young kids to me now, but then they were like these veteran seasoned professionals. Mm. And yeah, a lot of reporting and analytics, understanding what keywords were driving traffic, what ad techs was converting. It's all about what your conversion numbers are and your cost per conversion. We then acquired YouTube and started building out Android. So our platforms went to more video and mobile and just a really high growth period in Google sales from 05 to 10. And then I was transitioned to New York and I, and I took on a policy role and I was able to do that because I started a local nonprofit give back donation organization, if you will, it's called Google Cares. And Google Cares was really rallying the local San Francisco employee base to do good in San Francisco. I figured we were the first Google employees in San Francisco. We got to do more than just report in and report out. Let's see how we can improve the neighborhood and give back. So, you know, me kind of doing that in a 20% role, I got tapped on the shoulder to do it more professionally for Google in New York. So I was the first public affairs manager for Google New York. I was one of four public affairs managers at the time in 2010 at, at Google. So I had quite a large regional portfolio. I managed all of our data center regions, which we had six at the time. I worked in New York and a bit of Pittsburgh and Boston. It was awesome. It was a really amazing time. We had real resources to give back. We Wi-Fi'd neighborhoods. We thought, how do we improve the lives of our local community members? And it was a really wonderful role for me. I loved it. It was hard to leave. I could have honestly done that work for decades and been happy, but there was this inner entrepreneur that kept yelling in my ear Yeah, that it's time to go build and go create and leave the confines of Google. But I, I loved my last job there as public affairs manager. Could you talk a little bit about, I mean, you kind of alluded to it already, just what that experience is like, you know, leaving a huge, amazing brand organization like Google and spinning off to say, hey, I'm going to start my own organizations. And if I understand correctly, you know, you, you start up not just one, but multiple, right? So I was 29, I was about to turn 30. And I used that as my like fire under my butt to become the entrepreneur that I always knew I was. The first thing I did was I traveled to Asia solo. So I gave myself a couple of months just to exhale and transition from my Google career to my future entrepreneur career. I know I'm blessed and very humbled to be able to do that. It's not the same for everybody, but I, I took those months and I kind of recalibrated. And I really spent that time traveling alone, thinking about what I wanted to build and what the world needed. And that's where both Liquid Talent and Liquid Wi-Fi came into my consciousness. And so Liquid Talent, we started that in October of 13. It was a web and mobile application to connect developers and designers to short-term project opportunities. Ahead of its time for the world we're in now, where remote work and contract work is surging. This was a future of work play where we could contract, we could pay, we could search, interview, and do a lot of the that human resource recruiting needs through your phone and through social connection and, and geographic proximity. You know, a lot of that came from my mom being in HR and saw how she did it. And then Google, which was a world-class people operations organization, a lot of that was in liquid talent. And then liquid Wi-Fi really was built on my experience Wi-Fiing neighborhoods. So at Google, I Wi-Fi'd eight neighborhoods in my public affairs role. And I was like, well, this is interesting. I can, I can Wi-Fi public spaces and internet interests and accesses up into the right. People want more connectivity. So that's where that company was really seated. And that was in January of 14. 
That company evolved into basically a payphone. We reimagined the payphone and we made it like an iPad for the street. So payphones are this old, decrepit, very unhygienic technology and clearly out of date at this point in 2021. And we said, well, if we were going to reimagine the payphone, this was in 2014, what would it look like? And we basically designed a three-screen, 13-foot kiosk. We called it Palo. And that's the organization that was acquired by Verizon. As they were starting to build out their smart city solutions, they saw our kiosk as a great product to acquire. And so with Liquid Wi-Fi, we sold to Verizon in 2016. I'm sure I uh, would love to have an exit like that. Can you talk about that experience? Because I know there are a ton of Hasis who have that entrepreneurial spirit, and it's definitely a joy when it happens, but there's probably a, a lot behind that. And we'd love to hear a bit of that. Well, I'll tell you, in 2016, I had Liquid Talent went out of business. We ran out of capital. We couldn't raise the next round of funding. And then Liquid Wi-Fi in, in the fall sold to Verizon. So within six months, I had one quote-unquote fail, which I don't like to use that word because Liquid Talent was the opposite of a failure in my eyes. And then Liquid Wi-Fi, which sold and exited and was acquired by a Fortune 50. It was a high pressure time. It was a lot. It was an emotional time for a lot of reasons. It was tough leaving Google because of the cushiness and the compensation and the security of, of that job. And at that point now, I was three and a half years on my own and kind of eating into my savings and clearly wasn't really paying myself well at either startup. So it was it was a really great win. It was an awesome win. It took five months from courtship to exit. My team at Liquid Wi-Fi, there's about seven of us who helped with the sale. I give my team a lot of credit for the way they packaged the business up from a legal and financial standpoint to Verizon, which Verizon is a beast of an organization. And their corporate M&A team is very corporate. So it was a very different world from the startup culture that I was building at Liquid Talent, Liquid Wi-Fi, and the Google culture that I just came out of, and the Berkeley culture from a few years before that. So we had to kind of evolve and transition the way that we approached it, how we spoke about it, how we showed up in in-person meetings. Luckily, we were able to thread the needle and be acquired back in 2016. And, you know, it felt great. And, and honestly, it just made me want to do more of it. So I think you see like athletes who, who win a championship and they go back in the gym and train harder because they want another one, right? Like one ring is great, but two rings is, is even better. You see Jordan and LeBron and goats of their era, they win multiple because it just makes them hungrier and it makes them more motivated to feel it again and to achieve the success again. So selling one in 16 and one going under in 16 was an incredible six-month learning experience for me. I had to spend two years at Verizon for the sale. So that was part of the deal, which it was worth it. It was financially worth it for me to be there for two years, but it was the opposite reason of what I was leaving Google for. I was leaving Google to go on the unknown and be a trailblazer and, and build and create and be innovative. And then here I was a few years later now in a very dry corporate environment. And I said, well, how the heck did this all happen? But you got to look at kind of from a bird's eye view of your life and understand that you're playing a, a long-term chess game. This was a two-year move that I needed to make, which would allow me to hopefully achieve future successes from there. It's great to hear kind of the candid experience. You know, you hear all the good stories and the bylines and TechCrunch and all the outlets, but you never hear about the true stories, which is uh, you haven't paid yourself in <laughs> multiple years yeah. adequately and the team's got all jitters. Uh, that's the reality for what a startup experience is like. But to have that win and to have a team pull off that win, it's an amazing story to hear. 
Alex, could you share a bit about you sold the company to Verizon, you're at Verizon and transitioning with the team there? Like, you know, how does the idea for your company that you co-founded and, and co-leading today, you know, Plant Baby and, and your product, Kiki Milk, like where did that idea come from? And could you share a bit about how you came up with the formation of the company? Yeah. So when my my two years was wrapping up at Verizon, my fiance at the time, Lauren, was also wrapping up her career. She was building a nonprofit under the Art of Living organization, and she was teaching mindfulness and meditation to students. She was wrapping up her five-year run there. I was wrapping up my two-year run at Verizon. We were engaged and we were both ready for the next chapter. And we looked on a map and we were living in Manhattan in Union Square at the time. And we said, well, where do we want to get married? And we pointed to Hawaii and we said, we're in Hawaii. And we pointed to the North Shore of Kauai. And we said, well, we're ready to leave our jobs. And this is a moment of transition. Let's, let's just move there and see what happens. So that was early 19. We landed in Hawaii in March of 19. 10 days after we arrived in Hawaii, we found out we were pregnant. Oh, wow. Which was quite a surprise because our wedding was in June. So our son, Alakai, came earlier than we expected, but very much perfect timing as these things tend to go. So the wedding was in June 19. Alakai was born in November of 19. He just celebrated his second birthday last week. So now we're six months into Alakai's life and I am starting to get the itch again of I'm ready to build. I had a break there between Verizon and a year off getting married and having a baby. And I was very much eager to get back in the game. And that's when we couldn't find an infant formula, which I had no idea this was going to be my third company. Six months old, Alakai had colic. He couldn't drink dairy or soy. All the infant formulas on the market were either dairy-based or soy-based. Lauren and I looked at each other. We were shocked that we couldn't find a, a suitable clean label, dairy-free, soy-free infant formula. And I knew we weren't the only families looking for a plant-based solution. Even if their son didn't have a dairy or soy aversion, I think some families just want to go plant-based for, there's a lot of reasons why you may want to go plant-based and not dairy or soy. Mm -hmm. So we looked at each other and said, should we do this? Should we build a company that is geared to bringing this to market? And so that was March of 20. In May of 20, we were incorporated. We C-corped at a Delaware, Plant Baby Inc., in July, I pitched to one of my favorite VCs who was behind my first company. He said it checks all the boxes except the fact the FDA is so involved in infant formula. It's a highly sensitive, very complex regulatory environment, a lot of compliance, and you need to go through trials. And it's very expensive to get an infant formula to market. And, you know, as it should be, because it's such a sensitive product. So we looked at each other, Lauren and I, and said, well, if we're going to design and manufacture this one day, how do we get there? So we reverse engineered it and, you know, we thought, well, let's build a portfolio of plant-based products for kids. You know, infant formula can just be one of a myriad of solutions for us. So we started thinking about a toddler milk and then we started thinking about a dairy-free milk for kids. And then we started thinking about a breakfast blend and yogurt and ice cream and a product we're calling superfood sprinkles. And we started just coming out with these ideas over the summer of 20. And we looked at them and we said, wow, these are really good. As parents, I'd want to buy them. So Plant Baby for me is the first time I'm building a business around solving my own pain point, which I always wanted to do. Liquid Talent, Liquid Wi-Fi were more kind of theoretical, what I thought would make good businesses and good profit. Plant Baby is coming from the gut. It's coming from the heart. It's coming from a personal pain point. And that gives you so much more passion and motivation and enthusiasm to see this succeed because you want to solve your own problem. It's great. And I always, so like, I knew that sage advice always was out there solving 
problem. That's a business. I always wanted to do it. Plant Baby was my way of doing it. I always wanted to do a physical product. Liquid Town, Liquid Wi-Fi were communications and digital, and it was a bit in the air. And I wanted to like actually hold and touch and taste something that I made. So that also checked the box for me. Most importantly with this third one was how do I spend as much time possible with my wife and my son? Like that's where it kind of started. It's like life is short. Life is precious. You don't know how much time you have. I am going to look back on my life and care much more about quality time spent with those I love than anything else. So how do I design a professional existence that basically captures that? And building this with my wife, building it from home, doing it and inspired by my son, all these things really kind of go into play here. So yeah, this has been a round three. It's a whole different ball game because we're doing food and beverage. I'm learning a ton. I'm really enjoying it. The beginner's mind, I'm bringing a lot of humility and I'm just like a sponge. How do you do this? How do you build a CPG company? So it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, Alex. I mean, two things come to mind. If you could just share for, especially when it comes to to children, you know, a lot of the times you don't realize what choices are out there and also what's not there. Like I'm sure as you're saying like, hey, a, a good plant-based product that is healthy and good for kids. You know, there's definitely something out there. And, and we were sharing earlier, you know, that experience is not always the case for a lot of folks who have kids. Could you explain maybe for folks who don't understand that experience, like what does it feel like or what's the frustration like when you're in that situation, when you have like a call, like what's running through your mind and why something like this would be so important for folks who are going through that? You know, you're shocked. Like you're like, this is 2020, 2021. How does this product not exist? Yeah. Because you search Google <laughs> or Amazon, you could search like green neon sunglasses with blue tint. And it's like, okay, here's 17 different choices, right? Like the amount of products out here, it's exhausting. So when we search for an infant formula that we, what we thought was a pretty basic requirement, clean label, dairy-free, and there was nothing. We're like, wait a minute, this is insane. So first we were shocked. Then we got really angry and frustrated because it's our son and we need to find something for him. So we ultimately ended up going with a product overseas that was goat-based, still dairy, but had a better protein level and better on the digestion than cow dairy. And it was very much a temporary solution, but we knew what we wanted. We said, hopefully we can design and manufacture it and commercial it by the time we have our second child. But even if not, this needs to happen. This needs to be out there in the world. So it shocked into frustration, into anger, into motivation. Mm. And that was like the 12 step recovery program. And the four-step four step phase. <laughs> and that motivation now is just eternally burning, which is awesome. Because that pain, you can tap right back in it. Now our son's two and he's healthy, thank God, and everything's fine. And we figured it out and we were able to kind of band-aid it all together. But that frustration and pain is very easy to tap back into. And that motivation for Lauren and I never leaves us at all. Like we are dialed into doing this and we know it's going to take time. We know it's a long game. This is very much a chess match. We're just setting up the board and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Like this third company has been more fun. Just simply put, doing it with Lauren, the response we're getting from consumers, the brand we're building, the playfulness, the spirit, the art, the color, the quality of product, the way that we've tapped into nature and hearing what families are responding with and how much they've been waiting for it and wanting it. The response from investors has been awesome. 
So don't get me wrong. It's definitely a startup and it's definitely an entrepreneurial journey, which, which means it's a roller coaster, but it's just a lot more fun this time around. That's awesome. Alex, I feel like your approach is really bucking the, the trend or, or at least the marketing that's out there. You know, I'd, I'd love if you could just share some of the misconceptions that people might have around running a company. You know, we see the tormented CEO who never spends time at home, never, never is with family. But for you and Plant Baby, the team that you have there, it's almost the anti-misconception. What's that like and how you're combating that? One is like hire great people and hire people that know their disciplines way better than you do and bring a lot of humility to the table, that beginner's mind. So like, that's huge. Creating boundaries and containers in your personal life. If you are to build a company with your wife or your best friend or a family member, you need to know when to turn it off. My wife is better at that than me, but she really kind of sets the tone. After dinner, you basically have to ask permission to go back to business world or on a weekend, you kind of have to be like, hey, I need to speak to you something it's timely or sensitive. Can we talk about it? So asking permission, setting containers, seeing the forest from the trees, right? My initial intention to build this company was to get quality time with my wife and my son. So if that ever gets lost, then the whole thing is kind of for naught. So that keeping that top of mind, I'm very much aware of the impermanence of this whole experiment. Like I've had friends pass and family members pass. And I just know that there's no guaranteed amount of time out there. So if this is your last day or month or year, how do you want to spend it? I want to be doing it with people I love. And I want to be building something of consequence, something that matters and something that brings life and positivity and happiness and joy to people and health and vitality. So the purpose is very much underlining this whole thing, which feels really good. And we're doing it in a category that's also just like very much about family and fun. I would imagine like Disney felt the same way. It's like, how could he have a bad day at work when he's drawing cartoons for families? And kind of the same things like when we see the kids' responses and the parents' responses to what we're doing, it's inspiring and it puts it in perspective. That's awesome. Alex, what has it been like leading, co-leading a company during the pandemic? I know there's been so much change and it's probably flexing all these different areas of your background, you know, as a leader, you know, can you explain a bit what that's been like, especially with uncertainty and, and how you manage that with the folks you're working with for Plant Baby? We started March of 20 and we started the month when Tom Hanks got COVID, right? Like that was like March of 20 was kind of like for America, at least was the beginning of this whole thing. And we're doing it from Hawaii, which in itself has its own set of separation and, and vulnerability. And it's a very different environment to build a company here than it was in California or New York. Doing it with COVID, I think for us, you've seen the toll it's taken on physical health and mental well-being. So... Our company is trying to curb some of that and offer content and art and inspiration and food and beverage products that restore health and vitality. We're building a Kiki milk, which is a dairy-free milk that is shelf-stable. So there's a little bit of that type of mentality and products of the future, I think, are going to you're going to be looking for more of that direct-to-consumer shelf-stable product. We're in a vulnerable macro system, and it's fragile. We've seen how that, what that means the last 18 months, the fragility of this whole structure, this whole system. So for us, like, how do we build an organization, regardless of what product or service we're making, that empowers employees, that protects people's mental health, that gives people unlimited vacation? We're not micromanagers. We are offering healthcare and dental as a pre-seed company. We're doing the things that makes us really proud of the organization we're building, the quality of the, the organization we're building, the benefits and the quality of work life that our employees are getting here. 
Our employees feel so mission aligned, which feels also really great. It's really important for you to believe in the product or service that you're working for. So all those things check out. And yeah, we'll just be remote. We'll hire the best talent for no matter where they are, what time zone they're in. It's opened up for us a global network of talent. And that is just, you know, you unlock this huge amount of workforce and there's benefits of a remote workforce and how they can cover different areas and different times. And this is just the way of the future. We were going here already with liquid talent. We were predicting this back in 13. COVID and the pandemic accelerated it. So none of this is terribly shocking. The way that we're working together, it just makes more environmental sense and more personal sense. Alex, do you have any advice for people who might be interested in going to school or, or maybe even just going straight into entrepreneurship or food or sustainability? Yeah, build it if you want to be the consumer of it. Don't build it if you think it's going to be a fun or smart, profitable business. Build it because you want to buy it. Mm. That's a good piece of advice that I think will drive you when the nights are long and cold and you need a little bit of, you know, you need something to drive you. Like solve your own need, buy your own, want to buy your own product. Think about the environment. Think about different stakeholders than just yourself. Don't be intimidated by the entrenched, established players. They were small at one time too. There's enough success to go around. Changing the way you look at competition, we all can win. This is not a zero-sum game. Those are some tidbits I'd leave behind. That's awesome. Probably soon after this call, I'll be buying my own Kiki Milk. But do you want to share with folks best ways to get the product and, and experience it for themselves? Yeah, kikimilk.com. We launched October 19th, so about five weeks ago. We're in pre-order mode with original and chocolate. We're selling eight ounce, 12 packs. It's the best tasting, most nutrient dense plant-based milk on earth. We made it for kids, but all ages are enjoying it. It's nut-free, gum-free, additive-free, preservative-free. It's a climate-friendly milk, 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, just let us know. We'll refund you. It's great in cereal. It's great in coffee. It's great by itself. Original and chocolate are now available. We're going full launch mode in December. We'll be launching new SKUs and new flavors and new products too through Kiki Milk in different sizes and excited to bring out even more innovations in the space in 22 and beyond. I will uh, definitely be one of your uh, advocates, Alex. Can't wait to experience it for myself. It's been great and super inspiring to just have you here today and to talk about the company and everything you're doing. Before we end, we like to do kind of a fun, nostalgic lightning round, bring back some Haas or Berkeley memories, but also love to just pick your brain a bit. Sounds good. Hopefully, Alex, none of these are super controversial, but we know uh, they can be divisive in a fun way. Favorite class at Haas or Berkeley that maybe is relevant to uh, how you lead today? Favorite class is Astro, intro to Astro with Alex Filipenko. Mm. Most relevant is either the Haas ethics class or the Haas negotiations class. Loved all those classes, but that intro to astronomy changed the game. Really? Yeah, I loved it. Current students, if you if you haven't taken it, put it on your list. Favorite place to eat when you were at Berkeley? Intermezzo, hands down. Avocado, poppy seed. Yeah. Huge salad. Yeah. You can do a half salad, half sandwich with a chicken salad or tuna salad too. It's pretty damn good. But yep, the big bowl salad's where it's at. <laughs> I've definitely had uh, my fair share. If you haven't had it, definitely go grab it. A leader or a person that inspires you or, or motivates you? I'm going to go Barack Obama or Michelle Obama. It's funny. I was going through a lot of the tech CEOs and I couldn't give you one. So let's go with a political leader that I think has his heart in the right place. And also Michelle, who's equally as impressive. So yeah, Barack and Michelle Obama. Oh, that's good. 
And uh, last one, a little bit inspirational. What's something that gets you excited about the future? Well, my son, and I spend all my my mornings with him and as much time as I can with him and seeing a two-year-old experience the world makes me want to protect his innocence and his connection to source and make sure that global warming and climate change, we can somehow curb these trend lines because it's it's really frightening as a parent to see what's happening to planet Earth and our ecosystems and We're in a mass extinction phase now, and I'm nervous about water quality, and I'm nervous about what the next hundred years looks like on Earth. So for Plant Baby, a major motivation is to design all of our products and logistics with a very strong sustainability backbone. And that, if you're going to build a company for the future and build products for kids, you better be thinking about the environment. Otherwise, what are you doing? That's something that I'm thinking a lot about. We're partnered with Planet Forward and Farmers Footprint, and we're designing products that are climate friendly, and we're actually going carbon neutral in 22. Oh, wow. Yeah. it's amazing. Well, Alex, it's been awesome to have you on the show today. I definitely wish you and, and the company all the best. And I'm sure any Cal grad knows we always sign off with the Go Bears phrase. So uh, go Bears. Go Bears. Yeah. Great to be here. Thank you all for listening. Please visit kikimilk.com and plantbaby.co for more. Find me on LinkedIn and really good to reconnect with Haas and Berkeley and another big go bears for me. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. Mm-hmm.